Brothers and sisters, we extend a warm welcome to all who have joined us in church this morning for worship of our triune God. We also extend a special welcome to any visitors who have joined us here this morning in church or via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged through the preaching of the gospel and may God be glorified by our worship. Consisti has the following announcements. Brother Cruz de Vos has requested an attestation to the Free Reformed Church of Beldivers. We wish Cruz the Lord's blessing in his new congregation. <clears throat> Sister Nikki Hall and Brother Ashley Muller have indicated an intention to enter into the marriage state according to the ordinance of God. They desire to begin this holy state in the name of the Lord and complete it to his glory. If no lawful objections are brought forward, the ceremony will take place, the Lord willing, Saturday the 28th of May at 12.30 in the Free Reformed Church of Southern River with Reverend Poppy officiating. We've also been informed that Reverend Anderson declined the call extended to him by the Maranatha Canadian Reformed Church of Ferguson. And this morning... We welcome Reverend Anderson from the Free Reformed Rockingham to the pulpit. And before we commence this service, let us sing together from Psalm 34, verse 4. Let us rise to worship our Lord. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Let us sing together to his praise, and we'll do that from hymn 36, the verses 1 and 2. Oh. 
And just as for Old Testament saints, the pinnacle of God's saving grace was seen to be in the salvation from the slavery in Egypt through the ten plagues. So for the New Testament saints, it is indeed the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the same way, after that salvation, God brought his people to himself and they heard the words of his law summarized in the Ten Commandments that they might know the way of thankfulness that they could walk. So we hear that same law as the way of thankfulness that we can show to our Lord for that salvation from our slavery to sin through Jesus Christ. And we'll respond to the hearing of God's law with the singing of Psalm 15. We'll hear the law as it comes to us from Deuteronomy chapter 5, where God speaks as follows. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. That your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's.
Let us continue our prayer. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, who indeed may dwell on Zion's height in your holy dwelling. For even as much as we attempt to live by faith and in thankfulness take up your holy law and strive to follow it, yet time and again we fall short. We know, Lord, that we offend you by our sins and that no sin can stand before your holy majesty. Who may dwell on your holy hill? We thank and praise you for the gift of your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our High Priest in the heavenly temple. We thank you, Lord, that his once-for-all sacrifice also covers our sins and transgressions. And therefore, we come before you humbled this morning. We confess our sin before you with a contrite heart. And we pray, Lord, that you would not only forgive our sins by the blood of your Son, but more and more, you would, by your Spirit and Word, increase our faith. Increase our ability also, by the power of your Spirit, to live according to your will. And therefore, to resist the temptation of the devil, and of our own evil desires. We pray, therefore, Lord, that you would accept our praises this morning. We stand in awe and amazement that we may know through faith that our singing of praise comes before your holy throne in the heavens to mingle with that of angels and departed saints. We pray too that you would speak to us by your holy word, that that word would enrich us, encourage us, strengthen us and comfort us in the faith as well as where necessary, admonish us. We ask these things in the name of your Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who together with you and the Holy Spirit receives all glory and honour forevermore. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning begins with the book of Acts. We're going to read from Acts chapter 24. Apostle Paul has been arrested in Jerusalem. I'll be here something of how that plays out for him. Most importantly, we get to hear not only that, he is able to speak with the governor about the things of Christ. But the topics that he chooses then to talk about. Acts 24, we begin at verse 10. And we'll read through to the end of the chapter. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation... I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the Lord and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. 
Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation, should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Concerning that matter of self-control, one of the three topics that Paul chose to speak about with Felix, we also read in 1 Corinthians 9. Corinthians 9, we'll read from verse 24 to the end of the chapter. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control. In all things, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's sing in response from... Psalm 18. We're going to sing the verses 1, 8, 9, and 11.
Our text this morning is taken from the second letter of Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. In Rockingham we're going through this list of properties, if you will, that flow forth from faith. There are seven of them that Peter brings to our attention. This morning we're going to concentrate on the third one, self-control. To give it a bit of context, I'd like to read from verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So far. Following upon the preaching of God's word, we'll be singing again from Psalm 18, verse 10. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Peter is writing, writing for a second time, as he says in this letter, to his audience, probably Christians in Rome. He's already told them at the outset of this letter that they possess this thing called faith. And he said, listen, I write to you who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Without going into it in too much detail, what he means there is that we, we apostles, but more than that, we Jews, we possess a great faith in the Messiah of Israel, Jesus Christ but even as God had taught Peter very concretely through what had happened with Cornelius, the Roman centurion, he had taught him that Gentiles too can possess this faith, that Gentiles too will be gifted with the Holy Spirit to grant them that trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. A faith of equal quality with that of any Jew. And in the portion of this letter that we are considering this morning, Peter is listing seven outgrowths from that faith in Jesus Christ. Seven outgrowths that are essential. They're part of what it is to have true faith. Because if you don't have them, you are blind and you've forgotten that your sins have been cleansed through Christ. He's begun this chain of qualities that flow out of faith. He's begun it with the quality of virtue. Or perhaps better, excellence. And you'll 
If you have a Bible with footnotes, you may see a footnote indicating that. He's already talked about that excellence. He's talked about it at the end of verse 3 when he talked about Jesus Christ has called us to his own glory and excellence. And that colors what he's thinking about. He's thinking about the kind of excellence that the ancients talked about, prowess and courage in battle. We're called to that kind of excellence through faith. But it's a courage that is wasted if it is not exercised with knowledge. The second outgrowth of faith. Knowledge. Knowledge, of course, that is Christian. Knowledge that comes from getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ, as Peter literally talks about that in this letter several times. Christ's power and presence, even as Peter later on in this very chapter will say how he learned that at the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was suddenly transformed before his eyes and he began to sense, yes, Jesus Christ truly is God himself. Knowledge. And then we come to the third link in this chain. Following that excellence and the knowledge comes self-control. And therefore I preach to you as theme this morning, knowing Christ requires self-control. And it is firstly crucial. And we'll see why. Secondly, it puts faith into practice. And thirdly, it is rightly empowered by the Spirit. The CPR, if you will, of self-control. It is crucial. It puts faith into practice. And it is rightly empowered by the Spirit. Firstly then, the self-control is crucial. It's one of the reasons that we read that passage in the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul has come before the governor, Felix. There'd been a riot in Jerusalem whereby Paul had gotten himself arrested, arrested actually to save himself from being mobbed. And he speaks before the governor, Felix, and Felix knows apparently something about the way, about Christianity and what it believes. He's married himself to a Jewish woman, so as a Roman, he has quite a bit of knowledge of Jewish faith as well. And he allows Paul to be jailed and arrested. And he calls, together with his wife, he summons Paul to himself. And then we're told that Paul gets the opportunity to speak about faith in Jesus Christ to this governor. But what's really interesting is that Luke summarizes for us three topics that Paul chose to talk about. And I wonder if you had the opportunity to talk to somebody that didn't know Christ about faith in Jesus Christ and you were told, look, we don't want to make this drag out for hours. Just tell me the three most important things about Christianity, what you would choose Well, here's what Paul chose. We're told he reasoned about righteousness. And you could think of the way he writes about righteousness in the letter to the Romans. He can very easily, of course, bring the Lord Jesus Christ into that and his sacrifice. Okay, we can accept that. Righteousness. And the third one that he talks about is uh, the coming judgment. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, you'll know that that was always a common theme in his preaching. Judgment day is coming. That's why you need salvation. But what about the middle one? Righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. 
I wonder how many of us would have picked self-control as one of the three crucial things to speak about when you're talking about faith in Jesus Christ to somebody. Well, you could say, of course, that when Paul is talking to Felix, he knows that he doesn't need to talk about fundamental things like creation because Felix already knows Judaism. But righteousness, self-control, and judgment. Well, let's then, brothers and sisters, ask ourselves, what did that concept of self-control mean back in Paul's day? Because in his day, it was indeed a very common word and a very common concept, often talked about, particularly by philosophers and those people training others in morals and ethics. Well, the first thing is that self-control was always connected to knowledge. Knowledge of right and wrong. What's good for you and what's bad for you. And any ethical philosophy back in those days was always going to start with a right understanding, a right knowledge, and then work to self-control. Because everybody understood, back in those days at least, perhaps a little bit less in our own day, when people think education is going to provide salvation, people knew back in that day, knowledge is never going to be enough. You see, you can have right knowledge. You can know the difference between right and wrong and what's really going to be good for you and good for society and bad for you and bad for society, but that's no guarantee that you are going to be able to act on that knowledge. For that, you need self-control. You see, the ancients knew that man is not born good. That every single human being wrestles with desires that are not ultimately in his or her best interests. We call them, of course, as Christians, sinful desires, for we know where they come from. And self-control was always seen as the opposite of desires that are bad for you. Self-control is what you need to oppose those desires. To be able to set them aside so that you can pursue what you know to be the good. It enables you to act on that knowledge. You can know that it's not right to steal. And you can know that it's not right to take a bribe... But desire, desires are the age-old problem of our sinful nature. And you see that in somebody like the governor Felix as well, do you not? He was deep down really only interested in keeping Paul in jail until Paul would pay a sufficient bribe for Felix to think, okay, I'll set you free. A corrupt society lets desires go. doesn't worry about them so much. And it even encourages them. We live in just such a corrupt society. I'll go into that a little bit later, perhaps. Peter is concerned for his readers as well. For they live also in a corrupt society. You can see that with what happened to the Apostle Paul. And therefore he encourages them, you need to make sure that your faith is producing first that excellence, that prowess, that courage. Then, right knowledge. And also then, the ability to 
act on that knowledge. Self-control. Mastery over yourself. Mastery over those sinful desires. And that's where I come to the second point this morning. Putting faith into practice. And for Peter and the other apostles, it requires effort. Why do you think he's given us this list of, of, of seven things that ought to flow out of faith just so that we can juggle them and know, oh, that's great, so that we work on them. And that's what he emphasizes after he's made this list. He says, you need to put effort in so that these things are actually products of your faith. And in terms of self-control, yes, desires, the opposite of self-control, desires exist. They're part of our sinful nature. We do need to do spiritual battle against them. We need to overcome them, and that is part of our spiritual warfare. And Peter has said, look, the first thing is indeed a good, accurate knowledge. You need to know what's right and wrong, you do need to know also Jesus Christ and his power and his presence. And you need to know that you want to follow him and what it is to follow him. And when you're battling sinful desires, that knowledge is also quite important. If there is something that that my sinful nature truly is attracted to, then I need to be able to reason with myself, why is that bad for me? First off, of course, I would say because God forbids it. And if anybody knows what's good for me and what's bad for me, it is my creator, the person that made me, God himself. And I know too that God has promised, I'm going to bless good, and I'm going to curse evil. And I need to put faith, that is to say, trust in God and in his word. And that same faith is going to make me want to follow in the footsteps of his son, my Lord Jesus Christ. But in the second place, I can also reason to myself, this sinful desire that I might have, surely I know that sin hurts my neighbor as well as damages me, ultimately. Take Felix, for example. That sinful desire of greed and honor that he was seeking that truly did hurt also the Apostle Paul. It kept Paul in prison for two years and longer because Paul refused to pay the bribe to get himself out. And therefore, when Felix leaves, he decides to give his follower Paul as a prisoner because he wants to do a favor to the Jews. And you can bet your bottom dollar he does that favor for the Jews because he thinks he's going to get something out of it. There's no self-control. No looking to do what is right and to fight for that. Many of the desires that hurt us are thankfully also frowned upon by our society for example, hurting one's body, whether through smoking or gluttony, those are the kinds of things that our society also frowns upon. However, well, there are other things that our society frowns upon. It frowns upon the greed of stealing. It frowns upon taking personal vengeance, for example. As we learn also from Scripture, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But there are other things that are actually encouraged by our society. For example, greed through gambling, or sex outside of marriage, pornography, which is freely available. And it can seem so innocent. Who else, after all, is getting hurt? Well, if you're married, your partner. And if not, yourself 
and your ability in future to more easily maintain a healthy monogamous marriage, not to speak of the offense to God that the abuse of his good gift shows. Now, you know, Peter, in this same letter, will go later on to talk about the effect of evil desires. And remember that evil desires are the exact opposite of self-control. Chapter 2, for example, he begins by saying, and by warning against false teachers, he says, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. In other words, part of what these false teachers will be bringing, says Peter, will be the kind of sensuality, the kind of desires that, on the one hand, really do attract our own sinful nature. And they'll bring it in the guise of appropriate Christian ethics. But Peter says, you be warned. Self-control will be necessary, even there. You think of what happened in our former sister churches in the Netherlands. Our false teachers begin to say, oh, look, it's all right to live together without formally getting married. It's all right to shack up with somebody from your own sex in a relationship. And if you're hearing that from the pulpit, from the people that are supposed to give you spiritual guidance, and you are wrestling with one or other sin along those lines, that's what Peter's warning about. The kind of temptation to sensuality, even through the church itself, you will need, says Peter, self-control. To follow up on your knowledge. He comes again in chapter 3. Verse 3. He says, know this. First of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires. They'll say, where's the promise of his coming? So that's from the other side. You've had the one side, false teachers from within the church, but also people from without the church, trying to get you away from your faith. Jesus Christ, where is he? Even in Peter's day, people began to say that. I don't see him. Where is this final judgment appealing to your sinful desires? And then I come back to what we read from the Apostle Paul, because he too, obviously, was concerned with appropriate self-control in Christians. And so he gives us that image of the athlete. He says, look, even out in the world, if you're competing in a race, you know those athletes, they train themselves. And what do they train themselves in? Self-control in all things. Shut everything else out. I have got to get that goal. And he says, they're doing it for a perishable wreath. What are you doing it for? an imperishable wreath, the wreath of eternal life. And he says that one goal must dominate our lives in everything we do. To be able to follow Jesus Christ, to be able to gain that wreath of imperishability. And Paul says, look, I discipline my body to that end. I'll do what it takes because that goal is the one goal that Christ has set before me. I keep my own body under control. In other words, even so, such a person as the Apostle Paul needed to work at that. He says, I do that lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. That brings me 
with the final point this morning. Self-control is rightly seen empowered by the Spirit. Yes, the Apostle Peter in our text appeals to us, as does Paul, to put effort in. Verse 5 begins, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with, among others, self-control. You, put the effort in. But we all know, and Scripture tells us, that when we put the effort in, in faith, we're putting the effort in knowing that we will be empowered by the Holy Spirit if we do this in faith. If we're only looking for self-control as a, a great boon and a great gain for our personal lives here on this earth, outside of faith, forget the Holy Spirit. But what Peter is saying, these things should be outgrowths of your trust in Jesus Christ. And then, then I'm reminded of what Paul writes in chapter 5 of Galatians. He warns us also there about lifestyle. Lifestyle that is pandering to sin, verses 1, that wants to follow the Lord. And he says... In verse 19 of chapter 5. Now the works of the flesh, they're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Sinful desires. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and there it is, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit, in other words, the outworking of the Holy Spirit who indwells you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Even as Paul was to say elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, look, you can't say Jesus is Lord. You can't make that confession and mean it unless the Holy Spirit has given that to you. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 3. It's the Holy Spirit that has brought us to faith. And it is the Holy Spirit that will provide the fruits of faith. One of those fruits, says Paul, that is indeed self-control. The Spirit has given us the faith in the first place and he will provide the strength and the empowerment as we, in faith, put that effort in to give our faith legs, as it were. We all know, of course, that the Holy Spirit works together with the Word. You think of what Paul writes about the, the spiritual war that we're engaged in. And he says, you've got to put on the spiritual armor of God. And he says, lastly, take up that sword, that sword of the Spirit. And what is the sword of the Spirit? He says, it's the Word of God. Because that's the Word of the Spirit. That's what the Spirit uses also in our lives. Those two go together, Word and Spirit. It is the sword that God gives us to work with. All this, of course, requires a close relationship with the Lord. How can you expect to be working at faith and the outworkings of faith that are essential if you don't have a close relationship with the Lord? Having faith is all about having a close relationship with the Lord because faith is trust. How can you trust somebody you don't know properly, you don't have a close relationship with? How are we going to get that relationship with God? Through Meditating and reflecting upon his word and what he has done for me through keeping in contact with him in prayer, engaging in genuine worship. When you're singing songs of praise and psalms, 
that you're reflecting upon. What is, what is it that I'm singing? I'm praising God for this. Wow! Instead of just putting your mind out of gear and singing a tune. A close relationship with the Lord won't make us perfect without sin in this age. But it will give a steady increase to our faith. As we begin to see those fruits and are confirmed in them, even as Peter says, these things ought to be growing, increasing in your life. Verse 8. And they will therefore make you effective and fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, work at these seven things, says Peter. You can expect your faith by God to be blessed. And may he indeed grant that blessing to each and every one of us in Christ his Son. Amen. We're going to sing from Psalm 18, verse 10. come before our Lord in thanksgiving our Lord and Heavenly Father we first of all give you thanks and praise that you have given us that faith whereby we are enabled to embrace your son our Lord Jesus Christ to know the resurrection unto eternal life. You demonstrated that in him. And therefore we know, Lord, that by faith in him we may escape the coming judgment upon this world. We pray, Lord, that therefore you would make us effective workers in your kingdom. That indeed we may see the fruits of faith also in our own lives. We pray, Lord, that where we have become weak, that you would make us strong, that you would give us the motivation to work also at our self-control, that it may be a self-control empowered by your Spirit whereby we fight against the devil, the temptations and our own sinful desires in this life. 
so that we truly may be examples of what it is to stand up for your son. We thank you, Lord, that we can do that as a community, as brothers and sisters bound together in your son. We thank you for that Christian community and we pray that you would be with us as a congregation, that we might indeed be a light and also salt to the community around us. We pray too that you would be with our brothers and sisters throughout this world. We think of those in Indonesia whom we're privileged to support in our collection this morning. We think also, Lord, of brothers and sisters in areas where it has become very difficult to I think particularly of the Ukraine at this time. In the midst of that war, Lord, also Ukrainians are reminded of faith. We thank you for the opportunities that have been presented also there, that the population may know that you are God. We think of the fact that even in the capital city, banners and street signs provide texts from your holy word to comfort and to strengthen the population. We pray, Lord, that as people read those texts, which can be seen now overall, you you would work in their hearts that that faith might become a genuine faith. That as they are engaged in the defense of their nation and of their people, they might truly also derive their strength from you. We pray particularly for brothers and sisters in the churches there that you would give them opportunities to witness, that they would embrace them, knowing that they are strengthened by your word, your spirit, and the brothers and sisters around the world are also praying for them. We pray, Lord, for your churches. We know that We are not strong in and of ourselves, but only through you. And so we ask, Lord, that you would keep us faithful, especially as we live in a society that is becoming more and more corrupt, that we would see that corruption for what it is and not just lay back and accept it. We pray, Lord, that you would prevent the influence of the world upon us, We know that it is there through social media, through television, through movies. Again and again, we're confronted with a lifestyle that is not the lifestyle that you created us for. Enable us to see that clearly. That in our homes and in our families, the outworkings of faith might be evident that others may derive strength from that as they see the fruit of a life that is truly dedicated to you. We pray that you would be with us this day, that it would indeed be a day of rest and a day where also spiritually we again are made energetic in that faith. We pray that you would be with our shepherd and teacher, Reverend Poppy, that you would Also grant to him all that he needs to continue to be able to bring your word to us faithfully. Be with the elders and the deacons. And be with us, Lord, in our own needs. We ask this in the name of your Son, our living Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I understand that the Gifts and offerings will be taken as you exit the building. Therefore, let us turn to Psalm 100, verse 4, which is our final song this morning.
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.